This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Sound Mind Investing. For more than 30 years, do-it-yourself investors have relied on SMI for proven strategies and trustworthy guidance. SMI helps people build wealth so they can provide for their families, prepare for the future, and give generously. Learn more at soundmindinvesting.org. You've probably heard it said that anything worth doing is worth doing well. Hi, I'm Rob West. Today, we'll find out why working hard at something can pay big dividends, spiritually and financially. Then we'll take your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. What does it take to succeed? Talk to any successful person and they'll probably tell you that it takes work. Former U.S. Secretary of State General Colin Powell said there is no secret to success. It's the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. In other words, when you want to succeed in your finances, at your job, at school, or in relationships, you can't just sit around thinking about it. You have to take action. Success in any area requires discipline. Athletes know this. The more reps you put in at the gym or the more miles you put in, the better you can do on competition day. No pain, no gain, right? In the area of education, a good student understands discipline. Study a little bit each day. Take good notes. Do your homework. And you're in a better position to ace that test. It's the same with your finances. Practice discipline with your saving, spending, and giving, and you're more likely to reach your financial goals. Unfortunately, if athletes or students or you and I fail to practice discipline, the results won't be as positive because without the pain of discipline now, we're likely to face the pain of regret later on. Here's what Hebrews 12:11 says about discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the Bible confirms that discipline is an important part of a Christian's life for spiritual as well as practical reasons. We can't grow as disciples of Christ if we're sitting around like sanctified couch potatoes. And while discipline is hard, it can be a source of joy. Let's look at a few examples of financial disciplines and the benefits of staying the course. Maybe you're working hard at one or more of these. Perhaps you're determined to save a little money from your paycheck every week. That certainly requires discipline, but the benefit of consistent saving is that you feel a lot less stressed about future financial needs. Another example of a financial discipline is giving faithfully to the Lord. When you do, you have the satisfaction of participating in His kingdom work and the joy of helping others. Or how about this one? It takes discipline to pay down your debts, but the benefit is you're making progress towards financial freedom. Think of the joy you'll experience when you're finally debt-free. Finally, it takes discipline to stick to a financial plan, but when you do, you'll reap the rewards of financial peace and confidence. Knowing where each dollar is coming from and where it's going is a key to financial stability and success. 
By the way, if you're not exercising the discipline of a spending plan, we can help with that. Download the FaithFi app or visit us online at faithfi.com, and we'll show you how to start your own personalized spending plan. The point is that it takes discipline to be a good manager of the resources God's given you. It might be painful to endure the disciplines of saving, giving, paying off debt, and sticking to a plan, but the pain has a higher purpose. The verse from Hebrews that we quoted earlier tells us something we already know. Discipline hurts, but discipline can also be a source of joy. Here's why. First, the results of discipline are positive. In the realm of finances, we can rejoice when our nest egg grows, when we see progress in paying off our loans, and when we see the fruits of our planning and generosity. These happy outcomes make the hard work of saving, paying down debt, planning, and giving worthwhile. Also, when we follow God's blueprint for stewardship and integrity in money matters, we experience peace in our financial life. And finally, when you compare the lack of financial discipline to the discipline of careful stewardship, it's easy to see which one is more joyful. It's much better to have all your ducks in a row than to be constantly chasing them around the pond. One more thought about financial discipline. As hard as we try, none of us will make the right financial choices every time. So whether you blew your budget or missed a loan payment, it's not the end of the world. Acknowledge your mistakes, get help if you need it, submit your plan to the Lord and get back on track. God has set before you certain resources to manage, and when you exercise discipline with your money and your spiritual life, you'll experience a harvest of righteousness and peace, which is success in anyone's book. All right, your calls are next, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. As a faithful listener of this program, you know that there's life-changing financial wisdom in God's Word. And FaithFi is here to help you and millions of others learn to be good and faithful stewards. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on help from monthly FaithFi patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Has God provided financial answers for you through this ministry? If so, consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give. What if buying groceries, gas, or dining out could help change lives? With Christian Community Credit Union's Cards That Give to Missions, you can help spread the gospel, combat human trafficking, and protect vulnerable children with every purchase at no cost to you. Apply for your card today. More information is available at joinchristiancommunity.com. That's joinchristiancommunity.com. The Credit Union is an underwriter of this ministry. Membership eligibility required. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. Hey, uh, we've received this email uh, recently, and let me get it on the air here. This comes from D. She writes, uh, do you have to make regular transactions in an online savings account to keep it open? My local bank was going to close my account because I didn't have any transactions for a year. D, it's a great question. Any bank can close your account without notice for any reason. Uh, but most of the time, banks close accounts when the account holder has violated the terms in the account agreement, and one of those is uh, prolonged 
prolonged inactivity. Now, it's less likely that a bank would want to close an account that has a significant balance because they're earning money off of it. Uh, so the question is, I think, how much is in, was in that account? And I guess, could you make a small, maybe additional deposit once a year uh, just to keep some activity going? That might solve the problem. But I think the key is to check that fine print when you open the account to see what kind of activity is required to keep it open. Hey, if you'd like an email read on the air, we'd be happy to uh, get that on for you. Just send an email to askrob at faithfi.com. All right, back to the phones to Chicago. Hi, Lupe. Thank you for calling. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, was doing, I was doing some spring cleaning, and um, I was wondering how long uh, do we have to keep, like, uh, insurance records, like for cars or home or medical um, things like like bank records, like statements. Yeah, so bank and financial statements, three years is probably enough. Uh, anything tax-related, uh, you should keep for seven years. So if you have a, you know, a W-2 or you have a 1099 or you get a, you know, a tax form related to your health insurance, you'd want to hang on to those, you know, those tax forms that have numbers that back up direct inputs into your uh, tax return. Uh, now, a bank statement, that information makes it into your tax return, but you don't necessarily need to keep every bank statement for seven years because the W-2 captures, you know, the necessary information. So I think if it's tax-related, seven years. If it's bank and financial statements, three years. And then you want to keep permanently things like titles, deeds, birth and deaths and marriage certificates, passports. Obviously, you keep those forever in a fireproof safe. Is that helpful? Uh, yes. And what? Uh, so like records for like home insurances and stuff like that, those aren't necessary, right? They are. I like mean, the current year. yeah, as long as you have the current one, you'll get a declarations page once a year, you know, when you pay that premium typically. Uh, so you want to get that. If you have change a policy, you'd want to keep the information that tells you what your deductibles are. But, you know, so much of that is now available online. You probably have an online account set up with your, you know, property and casualty insurance provider. And you can, on a moment's notice, pull up all those declaration pages and find out coverage and, you know, you can even get copies of invoices, things like that. So I, I think that's less important uh, in terms of saving that. Okay, so I can toss a lot of paperwork away. <laughs> that's right. And I would <laughs> use a, a cross-cut shredder on that, uh, Lupe. You just uh, typically don't want to throw that stuff in the trash because somebody could get their hands on it and use that to uh, steal your identity. So uh, I think it's worth investing in a relatively inexpensive, but I would use a cross-cut shredder that shreds it uh, in such a way that it can't be pieced back together. All right, thanks for your call today. We appreciate it. 800-525-7000. To Stephanie in Georgia, go ahead. Yes, hi. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. So I was calling because my grandparents, my grandmother passed away roughly about three years ago. And then, um, so my grandfather is living at home. He, um, he did not have a mortgage on his house, but he has recently went and taken out like a $70,000 loan on it just to have money if he needed. And, um, now we're left with the question, does he do a reverse mortgage because his, income is much smaller than the outcome coming out. He um, he only works six months out of the year, which is their tax season, so he just needs a 
six months of the year he struggles, and the other six months he has enough income coming in. Right now it's his struggle season until he gets to July, and then that will start up his tax season so he can have more income. But how do you feel about a reverse mortgage? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of reverse mortgages. I mean, it's not free money in the sense that there are fees and interest rolled into the agreement. Uh, obviously, there's a loss of equity over time because it will have to be paid back when it's sold. Uh, you can lose the home if you don't have the money to keep up taxes and homeowners insurance and HOA, HOAs could place a lien on it. Um, so, you know, you just have to be aware of that. Um, and then, you know, obviously in, in heirs will inherit less and then it could affect, it doesn't affect social security benefits, but it could affect your eligibility for Medicaid or SSI benefits if that's a, a factor. Um, how much equity is in the house at this point? It's, it's roughly like worth $380,000 and then he owes 70000 on it. Okay. So he has quite a bit of equity. Yeah. Okay. So it. you need a, at least 50% equity in the home to be eligible for a reverse mortgage. So uh, clearly he would be. And, you know, I mean, this is probably his biggest asset right now. So if he plans to stay there for the foreseeable future and, he, and you understand the costs and not all these mortgages, reverse mortgages are created equal. So you'll want to shop them around. But it it is clearly um, a, a blessing for seniors who are having trouble making ends meet and they've exhausted other options. So I guess at the end of the day, what I would say is, you know, I'm not opposed to it. I'd probably look at other options first, but as long as, you know, he plans to stay, he's got the equity, which he does, you, you understand there's a cost to it. And if this would meet, you know, for the rest of his life, or at least while he's there until it's sold and paid off, if this would meet the needs that he has, um, and you understand the implications with regard to Medicaid eligibility, if that's a factor, then I think that it certainly could be worth looking at. I did not know that that could affect his Medicaid or Social Security. So I'll look into that. And I didn't know that. I thought all reverse mortgages are the same. So you can shop around and see like different options, I guess, for reverse mortgages. Yeah, so I would uh, I would find somebody who really is a specialist, um, you know, in this area before you select, um, you know, your the the reverse mortgage that you're going to go with because uh, they are not all created equal. That's for sure. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely, we appreciate your call today. Thanks very much. Uh, let's head to Indiana. Hi, Nancy. Go ahead. Uh, I have a retired so my house. And I'd like to know, uh, I'd like to use some of it for travel, but uh, most of it I would like to invest. Do you have any recommendations on that? Uh, potentially. Let's talk about that. So you've, uh, you've moved, you've sold your home. Have you already bought a new home or, or what are you doing? For no, no, I have no intentions of. Okay. So you're going to rent from here on out? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And what do you have in the way of proceeds from that home sale? Uh, about 530 Okay. And you said you wanted to set aside a portion of that. How much were you thinking? Uh, I figured uh, for travel, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I was going to go with 50. Uh, okay. You yeah. Know, so you, and you have roughly 500,000 left. And do you need to convert that to an income stream to supplement your income? Or do you no. just want to protect it and no. grow it for the future? Just want to grow it for the future. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a significant sum of money, as you know. So I would really encourage you to hire or interview and ultimately hire after you interview several an investment advisor to manage this for you according to your goals and objectives. So you don't take any unnecessary risk. You focus on protecting it, but growing it modestly to offset the effects of inflation and have something there down the road for giving or inheritance, things like that. Uh, stay on the line. I've got to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll tell you where you go from here. We'll be right back. We are grateful for support from Praxis Mutual Funds. Praxis Mutual Funds has seven impact strategies that are designed to create positive real-world change. More information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. The fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses are contained in the prospectus and summary prospectus. This and other information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Foreside Fund Services, LLC. Do you feel like your hands are tied with debt, preventing you from serving God? If you have credit card debt, Christian credit counselors can help. Through our debt management program, we can get you out of credit card debt about 80% faster while honoring your debt in full. For more information on how Christian credit counselors can help, visit ChristianCreditCounselors.org. That's ChristianCreditCounselors.org. Or call 800-557-1985. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. Just before the break, uh, we were uh, talking to Nancy in Indiana. Nancy has sold her home. She doesn't plan on purchasing another home. She's planning on renting uh, from here on out. She's got about 530000 in the way of proceeds from that home sale. She'd like to set aside 50000 for uh, some travel, but she's wondering how to invest the rest. And Nancy, I was saying, you know, this is really a, a prime example of where an investment advisor could be very helpful. I would interview two or three, find the one that's the best fit, and perhaps hiring that that person uh, to manage this money for you. But how does that sound to you? That sounds wonderful. And, and I have uh, spoken to a uh, wealth management from Avitech, A-V-A-N-T-A-X, okay. a wealth management. And, you know, he gave me some ideas of uh, doing some EFTs and some globals yeah. and things of that sort. So, yes. but I will continue you know, yeah, to are uh, you, get some other ideas. Large yeah, cat, middle cat, I don't know, you know. Sure, and I'm just curious, are you wanting to have somebody give you some guidance and then you ultimately make the decision, or are you looking to interview and hire an advisor and then delegate that responsibility to them to make the buy and sell decisions? I like the idea of his recommendations. Uh, I like someone who will come back to me and say, you know, Nance, I think maybe at least once a year or twice a year, I think maybe we should move something over or, you know, I think maybe this might be a better option. That is what I'm looking for. I see. Okay. Well, I might consider as one other option than our friends at soundmindinvesting.org. Soundmind Investing was founded by Austin Pryor. It goes all the way back to the late Larry Burkett. And they would provide some mutual fund and ETF recommendations to you, but you could be the one to actually make the buy and sell decisions. You could, you know, put the account wherever you want, Fidelity or Schwab or, you know, TD, uh, you know, any place you want. And then you could use their recommendations or others 
years, but ultimately you'd be in the driver's seat. Normally, I'd recommend a certified kingdom advisor, but they're typically going to take what's called discretion, where they would actually take responsibility of managing the money for you. And it doesn't sound like that's what you're looking for. You ultimately want to make those decisions. You just want some guidance along the way. So whether it's the advisor you've already talked to or soundmindinvesting.org, I think that's the way to go, Nancy. Yeah, I will definitely uh, go on the uh, Sound Mind Investment and uh, make an appointment and uh, talk this over with them. I think okay, that would very be a good. Idea. Well, thank you for calling. If we can help further along the way, don't hesitate to reach out to us. God bless you. Uh, to Ohio, hi, Hope. Go right ahead. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Good. Um, I just wanted to share and also ask I'm roughly about. Five thousand, maybe fifty-five hundred dollars in debt currently. Um, I consider myself saved as of February earlier this year, and have completely wow. entrusted and given that up to God, and known that He will fix that for me. And I fully believe that. My only question to you is, how do I remain patient and still please Him in spend? Not obviously not my spending habits because there's not much to spend, but how I honor Him in still working that debt off and trusting in him at the same time. Yeah. Well, here's what I would say. I mean, first of all, I'm delighted to hear that you've surrendered your life to Jesus. That's the most important decision you can make. And we celebrate that decision you made to place your trust solely in what uh, Christ did for us on the cross to uh, pay that what we call substitutionary atonement so we could be in a right relationship with God, not because of what we've done, but because of that free gift that he gives us. And when we place our trust in him, we can have that confidence uh, in, in our eternal death. Destiny. Uh, now, God clearly wants you to be out of debt. There's a lot of warnings in Scripture, even though it's not a sin. There's a lot of warnings in Scripture, but you have to do your part, Hope. So that means living on a budget. That means cutting expenses so you have money to apply to the debt. Uh, that means avoid taking on new debt. Uh, you are a steward of the resources God has entrusted to you, however little or however much. And I realize, uh, especially when the bills pile up and maybe you've made some decisions in the past that's resulted in this debt and with limited income, you may be struggling to pay all the bills. And I get that. And so I think the key would be to try to increase your income over time. Certainly trust God as your provider, but you have to do your part. And so I would look at something like getting on a credit counseling program with ChristianCreditCounselors.org and look at cutting back spending wherever possible, trusting God for your provision. But also uh, the Bible is very clear, the wicked borrow and do not repay. And when it's in your power to do it, you're supposed to, as a faithful steward, uh, meet your obligations. Obligation. So I would say, you know, you need to trust God, but at the same time, you've got to accept the responsibility that you have just in the same way I do for the obligations you have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. As yeah. um, I, you know, accumulated the debt and then it was kind of around the same time that I, you know, found Jesus, that I took a step back and I looked at my finances and I saw I'm not where I need to be. And at that moment was when I decided from the same token that you have now where you're saying that I need to accept it's my responsibility that I have been accepting it and knowing and still working at, you know, trying to do things the right way, the way that he that I feel that he needs me to in, you know, paying that back and changing my spending habits and doing things a little bit differently. And, you know, my lifestyle has changed. My spending habits have changed. I just... um 
just need some more patience and I guess more guidance. So I think maybe I should reach out to the website you gave me or yeah. something, but I definitely understand where you're coming from. Well, that's great. And I, I think you're on the right track with that without question. So I would, in fact, as perhaps a next step, uh, you know, contact our friends at christiancreditcounselors.org. That's christiancreditcounselors.org. And they would basically take a look at this debt for you. Uh, they would help you get the interest rates reduced. And this isn't through negotiation. All creditors have what they call a credit counseling rate. That's a percentage interest rate that's lower than the prevailing rate. So by the by them helping you get those interest rates reduced, uh, you would send one monthly payment and they'd work with you and your budget and they would make sure that it fits in your budget, but you'd send one monthly payment through them and then they'd send it to each of your creditors. The accounts would be closed, but the debt would stay with the original creditor. This isn't about taking on a new loan to pay them off, but the combination of that level payment plus uh, the reduced interest rates will help you pay this back on average 80% faster. Um, so I think this could be a great option for you. And listen, you dig into the word, find a great Bible-believing church to surround yourself with uh, people who are on the same journey you are trying to pursue Christ, and uh, they can be an encouragement to you. And part of the body of Christ is to edify one another and build each other up. And you certainly, uh, like I do, need that along the way. I so appreciate uh, your testimony of God's faithfulness in your life and uh, your desire to be a good steward. Thanks for your call today, Hope. We appreciate it. Well, once again, our time went by way too fast, but tune in next time and we'll do it all over again. Before we go, I'd like to thank our incredible production team, Amy, Devin, Jim, Robert, Brandy, Rob, and Ben. Couldn't do it without them. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.